Um, for some of us at Bridge, we were at a conference this weekend. I, I can't go without at least saying we went to a conference called Frequency Down in the City, and um, it was an amazing blessing to be with brothers and sisters from different ethnic groups from all over the United States talking about issues of uh, gospel ministry in light of race and ethnicity and church planting and some, some wonderful, wonderful things. And I would say that every message was so anointed. It was so encouraging. I actually, one of, one of the messages, the pastor got up there and started singing before his message, and I literally thought, that's what I have to do today. But I'm sparing you. My wife reminded me that I have sung a few times during sermons, but uh, there was no song that came to mind, so uh, I'm not going to do it. But uh, by God's grace, um, I I think there's a real movement of God's Spirit going on, and we want to be able to be a part of that at Bridge Church, and we need to be praying those things together. So you'll hear more about it, but I just wanted to let you know that's what's going on. So this is the eighth week of our sermon series out of the Psalms called Prayers of the Heart. And last week, we learned from Psalm 19. What did we learn? We learned that God reveals himself in two ways. He reveals himself in his creation, and in particular in the heavens, declaring the glory of God. That when you look at the heavens, you see design. You see a creator who's an artist. You see someone who is awesome in his power. You can't. For one second, when you look up into the skies, especially in a nighttime sky, you see the stars and you see what's going on. And there has to be something that speaks to your heart, that's pouring forth out speech, that this is made by someone who is absolutely awesome. That's the first part, right? The second part was that he reveals himself through his word that it tells the story of his character through his compassion and his mercy and his wisdom and his justice in calling out a people, Israel, who belonged to him. And finally, his sacrificial love in the person of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah and Savior. Hallelujah. This knowledge of who God is, the God of amazing grace encourages us to pray. That's where we were at last week. It encourages us to pray. If this is who I'm praying to, not only an awesome God, but a personal God, then I can pray my doubts, and I can pray my fears, and I can pray my troubles right? I can pray to him. I can pray my guilt. I can pray my shame to him. I can pray the desires of my heart because he is able to answer. Do I hear an amen? Because he is able to answer. How amazing is that? This is our God. But sometimes we have to wait in prayer. Isn't that true? Anybody ever had that experience? Today's Psalm 130 speaks to us about waiting in prayer. Waiting in prayer. Now, before we look at the Psalm, um, I'm going to ask a question, I'm going to give a definition, and then I'm going to give some backstory to this Psalm. The first question is Who here has had to wait this week? 
Is there anybody here who has not had to wait this week? You had a good week. But we wait, right? We wait in traffic jams. We wait when we go shopping. We have to wait for somebody to get ready. I mean, we have to wait all the time, right? And, you know, I'm not a waiter. Traffic jams? Get it out. Okay, I I probably drive about 30 miles around it just so I don't have to stop in a traffic jam, right? Anybody like that? Are you someone who goes, and when you're looking at the counter and the lines, you're calculating which one I'm going to go to? And I always do that, and God always laughs at me because the person, the one person, I I get in that line, they're the one with all the coupons. Ever happened to you? Right? So we all, we all experience waiting, right? We all do. I'm going to come, I have a definition that I'm going to use. This is the definition I'm going to use for waiting. I got it from a, a guy by the name of Ryan Paulson, and I really like this definition. You have it in your outline. You want to put that up? Waiting is that space between reality, where we're at in actuality, in real life, and desire, where we'd love to be. Right? That's waiting. The space between reality and desire. Now, I'm going to be coming back to that, right? But waiting is that space between reality, where we're at in actuality, in real life, and desire where we'd love to be. That space between reality and desire is waiting. Okay? All right. We're going to move back to that. That's the definition we're going to be working out of. But now Psalm 130, right? It's a, it's a psalm of ascents. Now, these were songs that were sung on the road by those making journey on pilgrimage to the feast and festivals to Jerusalem and up the mount to the temple, Right? Now, there's some different interpretations on the authors of these 15 psalms. I fall in the camp of those who believe that four of these psalms are written by David, one is written by Solomon, and ten are written by King Hezekiah. In particular, out of his near-death experience. So I'm going to read... Uh, you can see 2 Kings 20 or 2 Chronicles 32, but I'm going to read out of Isaiah 38, 1-8. This is a condensed version of what happened with King Hezekiah. So let me read this to you today. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and tell Hezekiah, This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears, and I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he's promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back the ten steps that's gone down on the stairway of Ahaz, which was really the stairway of Solomon, which ascended from Solomon's place where the king stayed 
up to the temple. So now what the sign was going to be, that the shadow was going to go backward. And so the sunlight went back the ten steps. It had gone down. Wow. That's quite an answer to prayer, isn't it? Then in verse 20 of the same passage, Hezekiah makes this statement. He says, The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. And in that statement, in all likelihood, what he was speaking about were the ten psalms of ascent that he had written out of this experience that he had had. Amen? So that's where the backstory of that is. You can refute me, whatever you want. There's different interpretations. That's the one I believe. All right? So, I want to give you a sense and a feel of what it was like to be with this large group of people making a pilgrimage up and then eventually getting to the mount and now ascending the mount and singing psalms. And this is the one that one of them is being sung. So we're going to have a group of people singing it. Put yourself in that place as they sing Psalm 130. Lord, from the depths I
imagine singing songs like this, the expectation of really getting to the temple, to being in the presence of God? How powerful is that, right? So now let's look at the psalm a little bit, okay? We're going to start with verses 1 and 2. We're going to get into the, the meat now of where we want to go this morning. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. There's this idea of calling from a position of desperate need, this crying out. There's this experiencing of fear and worry. In Hezekiah's case, it's the fear of dying. He's actually been told he's going to die, right? He's struggling. He's also struggling because he knows that Assyria is getting ready to attack his country. And Assyria was a world power at that point. And this word crying out means a continuing calling out for mercy, for God to answer. Like, when we read these things, we sometimes miss the fact that when he heard that, he might have been calling out for months before that answer came, what was going to happen. There's this this idea of constantly crying out. And it gives us a picture of a human voice, but a divine ear. You see? And what we learned last week is that if God reveals himself and is personally involved, and Hezekiah is saying, in this space I inhabit right now, in a space of pain, of affliction, and of unmet desire, he is being honest with God, right? Honest. He's saying, God, I'm facing this reality. I can see it. I feel it, and I'm not going to run from it, and I'm not going to run from you, but I am going to run to you, and I am going to share my heart with you. I I know that you already know it, but I want to share with honesty, Lord, because, because this is what I need to do. I need to be honest with you about what's going on. And, and you know, how many of you ever seen uh, Bruce Almighty? All right. There comes a point in Jim Carrey's life that he can't do what? Anybody remember? I'm, I'm sorry, Liar, Liar. Oh, I've got the wrong movie. How many have seen Liar, Liar? Yes. What can he can't do? He can't lie. Well, why would we lie to God? I, I, I'm always amazed that, I, why would I lie to God? We already know who he is. He already knows what's going on. But we should be people who are completely honest. One, because in that honesty, what happens is intimacy grows. When you're honest with somebody, when you're vulnerable with somebody, what happens to the relationship? It grows. But we have the same type of relationship with God. We have a relationship when we are honest with him, he's able to speak to us in the depths of our being and there grows an intimacy with God. And in that crying out, in that pain, this intimacy grows and God begins to speak into it, right? So by God's grace, let us learn to cry out with honest hearts before the God who knows so that we can begin stepping into an intimate relationship with him. So now, as the psalmist is crying out then, and he's beginning to grow intimate with God, something begins to happen. Listen to verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, 
Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. When we're honest and intimate with God, guess what? We begin to see our sinfulness. What? Why would I want to do that? Because when you begin to see your sinfulness, then God can do something amazing. And here's the thing. Sometimes we see our sinfulness and the temptation is to run or the temptation is to rationalize what we've done. And sometimes we know, even though we don't want to admit it, that I'm in this particular situation partly because of my sin or maybe even because of my sin, right? So here's the thing. As I'm in intimacy with God, I'm being honest with Him, and my heart is being opened up, and He's showing me my heart. Here's the powerful thing. I'm not left there alone in my guilt and shame, but I have a God who can do what? He can. Let me, wait, wait. He can do what? He can forgive. He forgives. There is such power in forgiveness. You know, what's it like to know that the God of the universe who knows everything that's going on, knows every one of the sins in my heart, knows what's going on intimately with me, and he basically says, Ange, I don't keep a record of wrongs. Whoa. I don't keep a record. It's as far as the east is from the west. Come to me honestly. We Bring it to me. Even that sin that might be causing this very situation of waiting that you're in, guess what? I forgive it. And you don't have to suffer the consequences for that because I am greater than the consequences of that sin. Hallelujah. This is our God. And so this is what He's coming. There is so much power. And I think what we do sometimes, and I know I'm this way, is I miss the rhythm of the gospel. There is a rhythm to the gospel which starts with honesty before God and in honesty before God, seeing our heart clearly and then in seeing our heart clearly, we go to God and we ask for forgiveness and because of the blood, there is forgiveness and out of forgiveness, I step out a different person. That's the rhythm of the gospel. Listen to what it says in Titus. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, hallelujah, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Praise you, Jesus. So Hezekiah and we here today, because of this forgiveness, have a worshipful reverence to God. A lot of times this is, this is used, feared God, right? And sometimes when we think about feared God, we think about, oh, God on the mountain, God with the lightning bolts, God of judgment. But no, this fear, the way it's written, the way it's interpreted in the original language is because of what God has done. I fear Him. I reverence Him. I worship Him in light of all that He's done, in light of the forgiveness that He's given us, that He delivers us from the temptations to think God is mad and angry with me. Isn't that how we get sometimes in the waiting? When things are going wrong? Maybe we're in pain. Maybe someone we love is in pain. 
One of our temptations is to think God is mad and angry. Why is God playing games? Why is God playing games with my head, man? Like, what's going on? I claim that promise. Why is He giving me the cold shoulder? Did I do something? Why am I getting a no when I want a yes from God? And in that waiting, when I know that I have a God who forgives, that a God who loves, and that because of that, all of these temptations that come from the pit of hell, I don't have to have one of them impacting my life. I can say, Satan, get out of here. You've got no business, and I am not going to fall prey to that, and I am not going to run away from God, but I am going to run towards God. Amen? That's what he's talking about there. And out of this intimacy with God, right, what happens? Hezekiah can say these next words, which are at the center and the theme of the psalm. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. And Hezekiah, by saying, and his word, right? He adds that there. And in his word, I put my hope, is saying, in your character, in your love, in your covenant promises, I put my hope with all of my soul. Amen? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And I love Hebrews 6, 17 to 20, because it takes that theme of the covenant promises and brings it to the time of Christ. And listen to what it says in Hebrews 6, 17 to 20. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, okay? This is Hezekiah, and this is us. We're all heirs of this promise. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, hallelujah, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Got that? Anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Do you see? Here is the promise, and Hezekiah doesn't even know it, but as he's praying, and this psalm is coming forward, and I wait for the Lord in hope, in His Word, that the Word itself was going to become man, and that Word was going to be Jesus, and every promise of God was yes and amen in this Jesus who becomes the anchor, that which is firm. This hope can never be shaken and never taken because this hope has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and that hope goes into all eternity. And yes, there are some earthly hopes that we may not have, but the hope of heaven, the hope of face-to-face with God, the hope of a new body, all of that can never, ever be taken. Do you believe that? 
you believe that this morning? We rest in a hope that's unshakable. The anchor is Christ Himself. Wow. We need to grab a hold of that. We need to pray it. See, in all our lives, we're probably on some level or in some way waiting. Aren't we? Right now. Are there some things you're waiting for? Right? Some of you are waiting to get out of here so you can see if the Eagles are winning or losing. Some of us are waiting for what? A good lunch. Some of us are waiting for just different things in our lives. We are waiting, right? We are waiting. There's not a single one of us who isn't waiting. It's the human condition, brothers and sisters. We are not God. We wait. Remember, reality and desire, the space in between, we are always waiting for something. Isn't it true? So little things, like I just mentioned, right? But how about the space between addiction and recovery? Joblessness and employment. Depression and joy. Sickness and health. Broken relationships to be healed relationships. A lot of waiting. Isn't that true? We wait on the Lord. We wait in prayer because we have a hope. So the question is not whether or not we're going to wait. No, it isn't. It's whether or not we wait well. How do we wait? You see, our response to God in the waiting determines whether we experience spiritual growth or spiritual decline. Because if in the waiting... I succumb to the temptations of the evil one and to my own flesh, and I begin to run away from God, and I try to do this on my own. I try to make my own plan out. I try to use the tools of the world to make it happen. Many times, what we find out is that we are growing anxious. We're worrying we have fear. We see that we're inadequate. Our plan's not going to work. We wind up making things go wrong, right? That's sort of what happens. And so in that process, there's a decline. There's a moving away from God. There, there's a sense in which God is no longer with me in this. And we have to be careful about that. See, the psalmist says, listen, in this space between where I'm at and where I'd love to be, I want to surrender my desires. I want to surrender my timelines. I want to not just have my mind and body, but my very soul wait on you. Everything about me waiting on you. And that allows God to meet us, to hear His voice, to trust his love and plan. And this is where he does his work. This is something we don't like to hear. God does his work in the waiting. 
Read your Bible again and read all the story, even the stories in Genesis. It was in the waiting that God worked. It was in the suffering that God worked. It was in Abraham waiting for the son to be born. It's in Israel waiting 40 years to get into the promised land. It's David waiting 15 years to be king. And you can go through it all. Even Jesus himself waiting in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's in the waiting that God works. Because in the waiting, we're crying out with honesty. And in the waiting, we're knowing the power of forgiveness. And in the waiting, out of that intimacy, we know hope. At least now we know the hope through Christ. He knew it through the covenant promises. And that hope is an anchor for us. You see that? And so now God can speak. He can tell me some hard things. And I need it. And it doesn't happen, I'm sorry to say, when things are going well. Ain't that a shame? It just doesn't. When things are going well for me. Man, it's hard to have devotions. When things are going well for me. I think I'm God. How about you? It's all the temptations that we run with, right? This is how God works. And he works in the waiting, and it's very powerful how we wait, brothers and sisters. Are we waiting in the way the psalmist here, Hezekiah, is waiting? And we need to be like the watchmen. See, here's the thing. The watchmen know the morning is coming. They don't see it, but they know it. And they trust the God who's created the sun to rise and fall. Faithfully. So they know some point that light is coming. And so they're waiting with an eager anticipation, with hope, because when that light comes, they're sort of finished the job, right? And that's sort of what's going on. So that's what God's doing. So when you think about that, here's, here's, here's an illustration to maybe give us a little idea. 1st of August, 1832 the day the slaves in the West Indian colonies were to receive their freedom. Many never went to bed. Tens of thousands assembled in their places of worship, singing praises and reading scripture, waiting for the first streak of daylight. Some of them were sent to the hills where they could observe the first view of the coming day. And they would then send back that the day had come, and this is the day when they were no longer chattel, but this is the day when they were actually human souls. This was the day that they had freedom, and this is the day they had been looking for, and this was their day of hope. And this is just like the watchman waiting for the morning. It's the same type of hope that God is calling us to because we have a God who is the anchor, who has a hope for us that's kept in heaven, never to spoil or to fade or to perish. Hallelujah. 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 So now, we watch and wait in hope. We continue to cry out to God with honest hearts, knowing that we're forgiven and loved. But we don't just sit and wait, right? We wait 
actively being faithful to what God assigns for us each day with family, with work, with school. We wait actively because God has things He's assigned for us to do in the waiting. I love Romans 8, 24 and 25. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, listen to this, we wait for it patiently. We can wait for it patiently because we know our hope. We know our anchor. We know the God who loves us. We know that his plan is actually good. We may not know how it's good at that time, but we know the God who loves us says it's good. And you know, in, in 1985, I had been working with the youth group since 1982. I've been working for three years. The group went from eight to about 65 at that time. It was growing. It was moving forward. And people in the church were all excited about the ministry. The people on staff and the elders came to me and they said, you know, you're going to be in the budget this year. You're going to be going full time. We're so looking forward to it. I was working a job full time. I was going to school full time. I was doing ministry full time and we were having kids. That's a lot, a lot, right? And I thought, wow. I'm going to be going full-time. This is going to be great. I'm not going to have to work. You know what I mean. (laughs) So, coming close to budget time, all of a sudden, hey, man, we we need to meet with you, Ange. Listen, there's not going to be enough money in the budget this year, so you're not going to be able to go full-time. We're not going to be able to hire you. Well, the Italian in me got a little bit angry. And I know for about two or three months, I probably wasn't the best person to be around. And I was angry. I felt betrayed. I had been working, I had been doing this, I felt really betrayed. But by God's grace, I kept crying out to him. I I said, Lord, I don't know what you want me to learn, but I'm going to pray. I was trying to be as honest as I possibly could. And you know, about six months in, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit starts talking. He says, all right, now you're about ready to hear me. He said, you know, are you seeing this as a job or are you seeing this as a call? Because now I'm testing you. Because this isn't a job. This is a call. And a call is a lot different than a job. So I'm testing you. Would you do this and continue to do it even if you weren't hired? And you need to answer that. Okay, Lord. I didn't think I was looking for a job, but now that you're saying about that, maybe I was. Let me just begin to look at that. And so over the next couple months, God began to work in me. And it's when he really began to say, no, Angelo, you are called to ministry. And that is so much different than having a job. And so that whole year, in the midst of all that, God prepared me to be called to ministry. And I look back on that time now, 
and I'm going to say, thank you, Lord, for that time. Don't do it again. <laughs> but thank you, Lord, for that time. You see, I love what this anonymous saying says, the most profane word we can use is hopeless. When you say a situation where a person is hopeless, you're slamming the door in the face of God. There is nothing impossible with God. So let us not ever think that something is hopeless, that some situation is hopeless, that some person is hopeless. That is from the pit of hell. You see? When you cannot see God's hand, when you cannot see God's plan, you trust His heart. Amen? That's where God is. So, let me move a little quickly to the end of this. When we live out of this hope, it motivates us to tell others. Listen to Hezekiah's last words. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. He has to share. He has to share that there is hope. He has to share to a country that's looking at, like, oh my gosh, Assyria is coming and we're going to be taken into captivity. He needs to come and say, no, 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 there is a hope. Now, of course, he then received prophecy that God was going to defend the city. But there is a hope because we have a God we can trust. We have a God who has unfailing love. We have a God who is a God of forgiveness. And because of that, we can rest secure in the anchor of who God is and His covenant promises are. And guess what? You need to know that. I'm finding that out. Look what God did. Hallelujah. So I need to now tell somebody. And brothers and sisters, we in this broken world need to be people of hope. God has called us to be people of hope. We have all the hope we need in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We are to proclaim it. By God, we are witnesses of hope. Even in the hardest times, we are witnesses of hope because of what we have in the anchor, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So we're to proclaim it. I told my wife I was going to do this. We saw this so vividly this summer with our son and with Ashley. We saw two people struggling and suffering. And yet, they lived out of a hope that seemed so supernatural to us. And in the midst of that, what did they want to do? They wanted to share it with everybody. And they did. They shared it with everybody. We're still finding out. Our game, our game hardly ever wrote a sentence. I'm serious. And in the last five months, he became prolific. We're still finding things that he's written to people, that he texted to people. And by God's grace, we're going to compile them together to make like a little book about it. And Ashley was the same way. They were prolific in sharing the hope they have. And literally all of Upper Dublin and Jenkintown were influenced by that. We were at the conference yesterday, and the main speaker is speaking about hope. Where is it? We are the people of hope. We need to live like the people of hope by God's grace. So let's wait in prayer, in hope, and in hope may we bring to this world which is desperate and needy and full of anxiety and fear. We bring what no one else can bring because we have the anchor, Christ Jesus Himself. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. I'm getting excited. If I was in Swaziland, now I'd be gone for another hour. 
But praise God, brothers and sisters. Let's learn to wait in prayer with hope because of the God who loves us. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, that you are the God who has revealed yourself. You are a God who is awesome. You're a God who's personal. You're a God who's intimate. You're a God who has purpose and plan. You're a God who fulfills every promise in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have an anchor that holds us. Thank you that there's a hope even beyond the grave. Thank you, Lord, that what you give us, Lord, we can share. Thank you, Lord. There is hope. There is hope for our own hearts. There's hope for our own families. There's hope for the church. And there's hope for the country. And there's hope for the world. Because there is a government, the king's government, that's moving forward. Pour out your spirit upon us now, Lord. Let us learn to wait in prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.